We're all planted together in this body called the church, and that's what we're going to continue talking about today, is how much we really, God has designed us to be with one another, to be a part of a body of believers, not just attend church, but be the church together. And we're going to continue looking at this great letter Paul writes to the church in Ephesus as we look at Ephesians uh, chapter 4, we're going to be reading from today. But we talked about the first week, we talked about how, the, how Paul was telling them that it is from death to life. It is the resurrection power of Christ that is bringing us and helping us grow into all that God intended us to be. It's not our own strength, we don't have it. But God's resurrection power is bringing us alive. And last week we talked about what it means to be a dwelling place for God, a place of worship where we can encounter God himself and God's presence and God's glory in our midst. And as we worship, we encourage one another. As you worship, you encourage me and the power of worship. And we're going to continue looking today about a little bit of a different theme, but along the same lines as we are planted together. Ultimately, what we're talking about this month is spiritual formation in community. And what that means is, is we're, as we are gathered together in a body called the church, we're helping each other in our process of growth as believers. We're growing together. We're growing with one another, not just as individuals, but as we are planted together in this body, just like a plant would grow in a garden. And so today we're going to look in Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to read to you the verse that we've been reading every week, but just to kind of help us get off to a start today. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. He says, but speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into whom him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped as each part is working properly promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love such a great verse to summarize really Paul's hope and message in this letter to Ephesus is that we're all joined and knit together and we must grow right? Growth is a sign of life, and God wants us as believers to mature together, and we're going to continue looking at that theme today. But we must grow, all of us here today. God didn't intend for us to just be a little seed in the ground that never sprouts, that never comes to life. God intended for all of us to grow as believers, to grow in understanding of God, to grow in our maturity and our faith, and to be all that God intended us to be. So we're going to continue reading in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read a little bit so you can read along with me on the screen or on your Bible there in front of you. Ephesians chapter 4. He says, I, Paul speaking, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Notice here that he says, I beg you. He's really trying to plea with them and really trying to get their attention. I want you to hear what I'm trying to say to you. This group of people that Paul has never met, but yet he's really trying to plea with them. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And now here in verse 4 is the famous, all the ones. And he really puts an emphasis, and you're going to see these themes keep coming up in Ephesians, the emphasis upon one. 
There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. That's a mouthful, right? And we see really what Paul is trying to, I mean, he's overemphasizing the importance of one and unity and trying to point out to them that it is one body, one church, one Lord, one faith. We're all together. Can you say that with me? Together. Together. We're all together. We're all in this thing called the church together. And what is really important about this context to remember before we keep reading is that Paul is writing to this church, as we have mentioned, he's never met before. But he is immediately extending an invitation to them to come and be together. They're not their own separate church. They are a part of the larger, greater church. One Lord, one body, one faith, all working together. And now we're going to continue reading in verse 7, an interesting verse, but he says this, But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, When he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. And when it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He's speaking of, once again, Christ, and he's getting ready to speak, reference that resurrection again. And he who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And then the gifts he gave were some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And then these next couple verses are very important. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. What a mouthful. There's so much in this text that is so important for our lives as believers, but also as a church. And we're going to look at some of those. And today we're going to talk about Paul's really initial words that he talks through is leading a life worthy of the calling. We're planted together to lead a life worthy of the calling. Then the question comes in all of this is, how do you lead a life? That's worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What does it even mean to be called? Am I called? What is all that speaking about? We're going to talk through some of those things. But ultimately, what it comes down to, and Paul references here, is that leading a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called is happening through Christ's gifts. But before we get into those gifts, let's talk about calling for a minute. Calling. You know, when somebody calls you on the phone, usually... Uh, nowadays, people, I think, have the response to let it go to voicemail. But normally, we would like to answer if it's somebody we know, right? We answer, we respond. And when we're talking about calling, it's the same type of mentality that when God calls, we respond. But it's how we respond that is different. Paul tells them, I beg you, I beg you, I really want you to hear me in this. Lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That word worthy can really be translated as a balance. It's the idea of a scale almost. There's a balance. Lead a life that has a balance of your calling into the life that you live. And mature living means realizing that all of us here together are included in the workforce. We embrace the work as a gift and what a gift, working alongside our Lord in the great salvation enterprise. That's what we're called to do. Working together in this thing called the kingdom of God to be the church that God wants us to be. 
T.S. Eliot has a poem that I love. It's a really brief poem. He says this, There is work together, a church for all, and a job for each, every man to his work. And that's the picture of the church, is each of us have our own calling, but it's meant to complement each other and work together, as we're going to see here today. But the problem with calling oftentimes is, is we often confuse calling with a contract. And we like to think that God is contracting our services. And we go to God and we try to negotiate the terms of the contract. Well, God, I will do this and this and this if you will do this, this and this. Or if it will look like this, this and this. But with God calls, our response is not to negotiate the terms of the contract. The expected response is obedience, not out of who we are, not because of anything of myself, but we say yes to who God is. It's really a response of faith. That when we say, I will follow Jesus, I will follow his call for my life, it's saying, I don't really know what's best for my life, but I know God knows what's best, and he's going to lead me ultimately to where he knows he intends for my life. When Jesus called the disciples, it was two words, follow me. Two words, follow me. Not follow yourself, not follow what's in your heart. Follow me. Put your eyes upon Jesus. And that is what calling is all about. It's putting our eyes to Jesus. And when he calls, we respond and we do it it in obedience. That's what calling is. And all of us have different types of callings. It looks different. And we're going to talk more about those gifts in a minute. But we are all called as believers here today. Every person here today, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been called. You've been called by God. You've been called by God to build his church and to build up this body. The call to follow Jesus, it isn't about pursuing a life of what I want and what I hope to get out of my life, but it's about following the one, as we talked in the first week, who is life and who gives life. That's what it's about. Jesus is life, and he wants to give us life, and it happens in response of obedience to his call. So we're all on the same page. We have all been called. All right, so now. If we're working in this thing called the church and we've been called, how does that work together? How does that all come together? Notice, I want you to take a look in Ephesians once again, that Paul references an Old Testament passage here, a really unique passage. He says in verse 7, or verse 8 rather, he says, When he ascended on high, speaking of Jesus, he made captivity itself a captive, and he gave gifts to his people. He gave gifts to his people. Now, this is interesting because this is actually a reference from Psalm 68, 18. And the verse doesn't say that. The verse actually says, when you ascended on high, you took many captives and you received gifts from people. But Paul flips it around. He says, the king who is ascended on high, speaking of Jesus, when you remember in Acts chapter 1, the Bible says they saw Jesus ascended on high and he took the seat at the right hand of the throne of God. So there is King Jesus who is ascended, but he is the king who is not receiving gifts, he gives gifts. What an image for us today that God has, and Paul have flipped it around for us to realize that we have a king who gives gifts to his people. He gives us gifts. Imagine all the kings in the world and how many of them have given you a gift. Probably none of them. But King Jesus gives gifts. And really what Paul is trying to do is to show them that Jesus, the ascended king, is the king who gives gifts 
ultimately in our lives. All of us here today, he gives us gifts. And they're gifts based upon who Jesus is, not who we are. They're based upon his goodness and his greatness. I think about when the Magi came to Jesus' manger and there they were bringing gifts, but they realized that that king is actually going to do something very similar for all of the body of Christ around the world is giving us gifts. Some said it this way, that this is the reminder that we are serving the resurrected king who is seated on a throne high and lifted up and we were given gifts to glorify this king. All of us here today. So let's talk a little bit more about this. Why does Jesus give gifts to his people, to his church? Why does God give us gifts? What are these gifts that we're talking about? These gifts help us for service. They help us to serve the church, to serve one another. Paul says here that, he's, that he get, the gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some would be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, all of these multitude of gifts. John Stott says that there are over 20 different lists in the New Testament where there are gifts listed. Paul isn't giving us a comprehensive list of the gifts. He's giving us an overview of some of the gifts, that there are many types of gifts in the body of Christ, and all of us have our gifting and our placing in the body. So why does Jesus do it? He says in the next verse here, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. This is why God gives us gifts. All of us here today, this is one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible, is that God loves his church so much so, is that he didn't leave us helpless. He gave us his spirit, who the resurrection power is bringing us alive, and now the gifts that he's given us are to equip one another for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, the church. Imagine this building here, right? It's made out of bricks. When this building was built, what had to happen was one brick had to be laid on top of another. That is called building up the body. That's a figurative image in our minds. But oftentimes what has happened with gifting in abusive gifting in this is that we like to subtract or maybe we use our gift in the wrong way that instead of building up, we're taking instead of building. But this is the purpose is this is to equip one another. Isn't that great that God thought us worthy enough and wanted to include us enough into his kingdom that he would equip us, that he didn't leave us abandoned, that he gave us the right tools to do exactly what we needed to do. It's like when you show up on the job site, you didn't bring anything, but the person gives you all the tools you need to accomplish the job. This is the kingdom of God. God is equipping us to help us to build up the body of Christ. One has said that the kingdom life is entering more and more into a world of gifts. And then we're using those gifts in a working relationship with the Lord. You're using your gift. I'm using my gift. And we're working together in this thing called the church. So we know why God gave us gifts to equip, to build up. But what's the goal? What are we working towards in our gifting? If you have some over here who are pastors and some who are teachers and some who are prayer warriors and some who are singing, what is our goal in what we are doing as the body of Christ? Paul goes on to say, until building up the, the work of the ministry, building up until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. 
Notice that he says there in that verse, until all of us. Nobody is exempt until all of us. There are two things here he mentions. The first one is unity. The second one is maturity. He repeats himself in this idea of unity. That we are working together in our gifting until all of us come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God. God wants us to work together and use our gifts in a way that brings unity together. Our gifting is not meant to divide us or separate us, even though we may have a variety of gifts. Our gifting is supposed to complement one another. It doesn't compete. So let's talk more about this idea of unity. Paul was sure to show them that it is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body, over and over and over again, this idea of unity. Our gifting All of us here today, whatever gifting God may have given us, it is meant to complement one another in that it reflects our gifting towards each other in a positive way. We're not supposed to be competing with one another in our gifts as often these gifts may have been interpreted. Is that I've got, we may, somebody may say, God has gifted me in this way. And we use it to maybe put ourselves in superior to another and look at others inferior. But that's not the way that God intended it. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor or if you're a prayer warrior or if you're the person who is working behind the scenes and nobody ever sees you. In this thing called the body of Christ, we complement each other, not compete. It's not a, to see who can do the best and race against each other. No, we are complementing. We're working towards the same goal, which is unity. All of us working together to make sure that as the body of Christ, we are unified and we're bringing others alongside of us, reaching the world, the knowledge of the Son of God. This is this kind of idea, as one has said, that there is a continuous concern interwoven in the listings. That though there is a variety of gifts, there is one spirit. And the diversity of gifts adds up to the unity of function. And that's the beautiful thing about the body of Christ, is we can have a variety of gifts. You can have such diversity in gifting, but yet we work towards the unity of function. As Paul said in the beginning, we read, it's woven and knit together. How many of you sleep with a blanket at night? All of us do. How many of you sleep with a thread at night? No. Most of us prefer a whole blanket, right? And that is the way that God intended the church, is that when we're not just one individual thread over here or one over there, we are knit and woven together. It's indistinguishable. We're put together in this body, and it is serving a general purpose, which is the unity of the body of Christ. That's our goal. That's what the early church was. You go in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God came upon them, the Bible says they were of one mind and one accord. God blesses unity. The next thing we see in the goal in our gifting is, he tells them it's the unity of the faith, but it's also to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. So the second part of our goal and our gifting is unity and maturity. Our gifting is a piece of the larger picture, but it's not the whole piece. All of us are making up this piece, but it's so that we can be all that God intended us to be. It's interesting here in this verse that he says that you would reach the measure of the full stature of Christ. 
In other words, he tells them, your maturity ought to be reaching up towards that level of Christ, continually growing in the likeness. As he later says in Ephesians 5.1, he tells them, be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. That which you have seen Jesus do, I want you to do in your own life. And that's the type of maturity we're working towards, is that we are reflective of Christ in our lives. Listen, God did not gift us to just sit on a pew. God did not gift us to just place us in and watch a service. As God's people, it's a divine calling and purpose to be a part of the body of Christ, to serve and reach the maturity that God intended us to be. What a waste a gift would be if we never put it to use. What a waste the gift would be if we just threw it aside and said, well, I'm I'm not going to use it. No, all of us have a place in the body of Christ. And the question is, is how are we going to use the gift that God has given us? Too often these gifts have been understood individually, conferred upon us, but this is wrong. The work is the work of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the interwoven of divine mystery of God. Many times these gifts have been abused with different types of power, but in the kingdom of God, God brings growth as we faithfully serve him. Listen, just because somebody says that they're a pastor or they're a teacher doesn't separate them from the unity and the maturity. There are no individual Christians, as much as there may be some who label themselves of. God has called us, and we see this over and over again, to be planted together. That's what it's all about. Your maturity, my maturity, God wants it to be working together. And that's the goal. And, and the Bible says that it's, it's going to keep going until all of us. Nobody's left out in this body called the church. We're all in it together. We're all growing in unity and maturity. I love how the message translates this verse in 1 Corinthians 3 and talking about our gifts and service. When Paul is writing to them, he tells them, he says, we, uh, who do you think Paul is anyway, or Apollos for that matter? We're just both servants, servants who waited on you, gradually learned to entrust your lives to our mutual master. And we each carried out our servant assignment. Paul says this, I planted the seed. Apollos watered the plants, but God made you grow. It's not the one who plants or the one who waters who's at the center of this process, but God who makes things grow. And my favorite part of this translation is he says this, planting and watering are menial servant jobs at minimum wages. What makes them worth doing is the God who we are serving. Listen, the gifting isn't reflective of us. You can't take the gift, you can't take the credit for a gift someone else gave you. God gets the credit. That's the way it's intended to be. It would be as if for Christmas you gave yourself a gift and you boasted for the gift that you gave yourself. How selfish that appeals to be. But when in the kingdom of God, God gets the credit for the gifts he gives, not us. It's not based upon my goodness or how good I work. No, it's because of God and who he is. He's good to us, so he gives good gifts to us. You can't take the credit for it, as Paul said. He's just doing a minimum wage job in the kingdom of God. That's what we're doing. We're just faithfully serving as we have been called and assigned in this body. Nobody's better than another. No one's greater than another. Paul even goes on to tell them in 1 Corinthians. He tells them that God has assigned each of us in the body of Christ so that there might not be any dissension. 
So he says, so the foot can't say to, the, head, or to the, the shoulder or the arm, you're not important. No, we're all equally put into this thing and building up the body of Christ. Your role is just as important as my role or anybody else's role for that matter. But it's not because of who we are. It's God's gift. He's the king who gives gifts. And this morning, I wanted to bring that encouragement to you as we're planted together. And you're thinking here this morning, how did God gift me? How did God speak into my life and equip me? I remember thinking years ago when, when I felt the call to preach the gospel. I remember thinking, God, I, I don't know what that looks like. I've never done it before. I didn't even grow up in church. I don't know. I have an idea what that looks like. And I just remember how God continually reminded me that God hasn't called me to be anybody else that I looked with my eyes. I'm not competing to be a better preacher than somebody else. God had just called me faithfully to live out the gift in my life to equip the body of Christ and build up the body of Christ. That's what it's all about. How are you using your gift for God's kingdom? All of us here have great gifts. There are some people in this room, I, I've admired your gifts but it's not in a way to make me envious or jealous. It's to say, I know because God has gifted you in that way, this thing called the church will grow, will thrive, and will be all that God intended it to be. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. How do you live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called? I like how Paul answers a redundant question in his, in his message here. How do you live a life worthy of the calling? It sounds like a big question with a lot of pressure. But guess what he tells them? It's through Christ's gift. It's not based on you. It's not based on how hard your good works or any of that. It's based on God's gift for you. How God's going to help equip you. How the king gives good gifts. And all of us here today, I want to remind you and encourage you and edify you today as just somebody using my gift today that God has gifted you. And it doesn't matter what anybody else has said or how they have discredited you or how they have put this here or put that there. Look, it's God who calls, appoints, and sends. I remember many times when I had wrestled with my calling and thinking, God, how have you gifted me and what have you done in my life? And thinking, God, I don't know about this. I'm not sure. I'm, 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 I had some doubt in my heart wrestling with that. And I remember God bringing me back to the story of the disciples. And the Bible says that he chose them. Jesus chose them. And he called them and he sent them forth. And I remember as I looked at that, I was reminded that no man called me. No person called me. As much as I am in an earthly mindset, on staff, here, hired, God called me. I'm here because God called. I'm here because I responded. You are here today. The choir is here. The musicians are here. AV is here because we responded to the call. Calling and responding. I was reminded of John chapter 1 as we close here today. When Jesus is going through the towns and the disciples and he's looking at them, he's walking to them and just out of nowhere, he's telling them, hey you, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Hey, Peter, follow me. Hey, Philip, follow me. That was all he had to say. And the beautiful thing was that image was the Bible says they left everything and followed him. Here's a guy they never knew before, but there was something about that call that they said, okay, we're going to leave everything and follow you. Philip, later after he answered his call, he went to his friend, Nathaniel. 
And he said to him in excitement, and I can imagine this, he says, we have found the one who Moses talked about, who the prophets talked about, and you have got to come and see him. And But Nathaniel responds, and I love his response. He says, what can come out of Nazareth? Anything good? What's going to happen there? He was using his earthly eyes to look and measure the gifting around him. But Philip told him, no, you just have to come and see. And the Bible says that when Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, he says, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael asked him, how do you know me? What do you know about me? I've never met you before, but how do you know me? And Jesus responded to him, Philip or Nathanael, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip even called you. I saw you. I saw you. That's all of our story today, is that before we ever came into the body of Christ, before we ever responded to the call of God, God saw us exactly where we were. He saw us with all of our flaws, with all of our weaknesses, with all of our excuses that we might make. He saw us exactly where we were. There was Nathaniel enjoying some delicious figs under the fig tree. And Jesus said to him, before you responded, I saw you right there. And it's a picture of how God calls us. That most of the time, and a lot of the times, we come up with all of these excuses. Well, God, I can't do this like Moses. I can't speak for you. Okay, well, I'll give you Aaron. Oh, I still can't do this. Excuse after excuse. When Jesus is just saying to us, he saw us exactly how we were. He is fully aware of that. If he knows how many number of hairs are on our heads, surely he knows every weakness and flaw about us. But still yet, what is most exciting about that is that he saw Peter, he saw Philip, he saw Nathaniel, and yet he still said to them, follow me. Because the call of God, responding to the call of God, isn't, does, has nothing really to do with me and has everything to do with who Jesus is. It's because of who God is. He's so wonderful. He's so great that we respond and we follow. And instead of throwing God a contract and saying, Lord, here are my terms, if you'll do this, I'll follow you. No, God's just looking for the person who will say, yes, Lord, I don't know what this thing is about, but I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go where you lead me. Just guide me. Will you stand today? The choir come. I want to encourage you this morning. I know you, you might think this is another sermon and you might leave here today and here, think about it for a little bit. But I really want you to consider today. Really want you to think through in your own heart, in your own life. That God came and died on a cross. Rose from the dead. Is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession forevermore for the saints. And He gave you gifts. Everybody here, He gave us gifts. He gave us gifts. All of us here. Now, how are you going to take that gift that God has given you and use it, as Ephesians 1 says, for the praise of His glory? Lord, I'm not a good public speaker. I can't talk to people. God may say, well, I've called you this way. Well, God, I, I'm, I'm not so good with organization. Well, that's all right. Every excuse that we might make, listen, it has nothing to do with us.
It's all for Jesus, the King, the King's gift. You close your eyes today. Oh, how I'm reminded today how the Master is calling. And I believe in 21st century American church mid-pandemic life that God is saying ever so gently and sweetly to His church, to His people, won't you follow me? Let my gifts empower you and help you and let this church, I want to show you growth and maturity among you. Now today, it has nothing to do with me or what I'll say to you, but how will you respond to Jesus' call today? How will you say yes to the Lord? Maybe you have never even considered a life of complete surrender to Jesus. Maybe today's the first time you're thinking about that. I remember when that happened to me. 13 years old, had no idea what was happening in my life. Oh, but the sweet, gentle call of Jesus that said, I love you. I realized that there was nothing more in the world that I could need than to follow the one who loved me from death to life, life to death, who was willing to invest himself in me and give me another chance and forgive me of all of my sin, then I had no better response than to say, Lord, I'll follow you. Of course, it wasn't easy. Of course, there was hesitation. But I want to encourage you today, as someone who made that decision before, maybe you'll make that decision today. It's not a decision of a one-time thing. It's a life of surrender to say, Lord, I'm going to follow you today, tomorrow, next week, next month. My life belongs to you. I know you know what's best for me, Jesus. So I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to stop relying on myself and my excuses. And I'm going to rely on the gifts you've given me because you are great. Would you just respond to him today? Talk to him this morning. Maybe you haven't done this in a while. Maybe God called you some time ago and you laid it aside. Oh, how God's call is so sweet, so inviting. Maybe you ran out of energy, you got tired. Oh, Jesus would just say to you, come to me, all you who are weary. Lord, we thank you today for your gifts. We thank you, Jesus, how you have loved us and invited us into this family, Lord. You have planted us together. And Lord, today I know that I am surrounded by people who are gifted and that you are using them to build up the church. And Father, it is such a joy. And Lord, it's my joy to take the gift along with my brothers and sisters and serve you. There's no greater joy than to serve the one who gave it all for me. So therefore, I'll give it all for you, Jesus. And Lord, today, I pray that would be our response to you to say, Lord, my life belongs to you. I don't know. I don't, I'm lacking knowledge. I don't know what it's all about. But Lord, I just know who you are from what I've heard today. And I want to say yes to you. Yes to Jesus. Yes to the one who can change my life forever. So Lord, we thank you this morning. We respond joyfully, Lord. Our life is yours today, in Jesus' name. As the choir sings, just talk to Jesus. Maybe he's dealing with your heart today. Well, don't be afraid to say yes. 
There's no greater thing you'll ever say to the Lord Jesus than yes, 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 Lord.